Yes, all aboard the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. The train is building up ahead of steam, picking up passengers along the way. It's your conductor, Anthony Smith, the host of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. So grab your ticket, get on board, enjoy the ride. This train is going to take you on a journey unlike ever before. Buckle up, the show is about to begin. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome in to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is your host, and conductor Anthony Smith. And I am going to look into a few headlines. Uh, we have some NFL news looking at the NFC East. But the NBA, and we are in playoff mode right now. But I want to jump ahead and look to what the NBA is actually thinking of right now this was a sound clip from kjz which is Keyshawn, j will and zubin and the nba eager to restart talks with teams players union on mid-season tournament a source say of course that source and writer is none other than adrian warjanowski and jay williams caught up with Adam Silver, and here's what he had to say in regards to that. A regular start season to next season in October? Because personally, I love the start on Christmas Day. I mean, I just, it, it, it brings such a different kind of aura to the game and obviously not competing with football. What do you think you're leaning towards looking more for next season? We're looking towards getting back on our regular schedule. The problem is, of course, it won't be as short an off season as there was coming into this season where we finished in mid October and then started again in Christmas. Um, typically, as you guys know, we'd be done by the end of June and our finals this year will be done. I think if we had seven games, it would be July 22nd, but our, our, we're going to have to do a shorter off season, a bit of a shorter off season if we're going to get back on schedule, because if we start late and then go late again, obviously in the next summer, this will just continue. And, and we think in terms of fan interest, what, what our television partners are telling us is that we're better off completing our finals by the end of June. In order to complete our finals by the end of June, at least to stay with the format we currently have, we need to start in mid-October. To your point, Jay, about starting at Christmas, and that goes to my point about the 72 games versus 82 games. We've looked at other lengths of the regular season. We'll, we will continue to do so. I'm, I'm, you know, at least based on the evidence from this season, I don't think that's a strong argument to go to fewer regular season games. And look, it's 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 not a secret. It obviously as a business, um, that's a reduction in revenue. I think the benefit of reducing the number of games, 
One, it would be go go to player health, and we'll see whether you know you know a lot of science around that in terms of amount of rest and number of minutes and how impactful that is. And then the other issue is if you have fewer games, does it make each game that much more valuable? You know, on the other end of the spectrum, of course, is you know the NFL, where you know each game has so much value that if you know if you're a fan. You're, you're not going to take a game off, at, you know, in terms of, as a viewer or, or as a, attending a game. So, so those are all things we're continuing to look at. But at least now, our plan is to to start again, you know, roughly, you know, give or take a week, mid to late October of, of this year. So, there you have the comments of one Adam Silver in regards to what next year possibly could be looking like for the NBA. So the NBA is eager to restart the conversation with his teams and the Players Association about adding a midseason tournament to the league's calendar, sources told ESPN. Commissioner Adam Silver, a proponent of the idea, has gained Optimism that the success of the play-in tournament could drive momentum to re-engage teams on another tournament idea that had been discussed before the pandemic, but never reached a vote of the Board of Governors, sources said. The NBA has pushed to incorporate more competitive elements to the league's calendar in recent years, including the play-in tourney, in-game coaches, challenges, and all-star game changes like the player draft and scoring targets. The NBA has pushed the NBA would need an agreement with the National Basketball Players Association and a two-thirds majority of its 30 teams to incorporate an in-season tournament plan. The league could start exploring the idea again with teams in the MBPA as soon as this year, sources said. It is too late for the league to consider the idea for the 21-22 season. Original midseason tournament proposals centered around a European soccer model event that would tie into the NBA's traditional schedule. The league had discussed an eight-team single elimination tournament that would be incentivized with a $1 million per player payouts to the winning team, sources said. The NBA had discussed a scenario of pool play embedded into the regular season schedule to determine those teams advancing into the single elimination tournament. Among the questions that the league likely still needs to address to teams, could franchises, especially those in big markets, be assured that there wouldn't be gate revenue losses by shortening the regular season to 78 games to accommodate the tournament. Some teams have been hesitant to incur short-term losses on potentially losing two home dates, especially when the games have been worth anywhere between 2.5 and 4 million in pre-pandemic times. Previous concerns among front office executives had been that some star players on the league's most lucrative contracts might prefer the scheduling break of several days that would come with failing to qualify for the 18 single elimination tournament. Sources said, 
the buy-in of star players is critical to achieving the league's goals of impacting fan interest, television ratings, and revenues. Nevertheless, the NBA's optimism has remained valued on achieving that support, in part because of how many elite players embrace the competitive nature of the playing tournament and also game changes, sources said. So, there we have a look into what we could be possibly looking at as far as the future of the NBA is looking at. Now, let's take a look at something that has happened recently within the playoffs. Yes, it is playoff time. After allowing highlight reel dunk in game one, Dallas Mavericks' Maxi Kleber felt L.A. Clippers' reaction should have been a technical foul. Dallas Maverick forward Maxi Kleber had no regrets about ending up on the wrong end of a Kawhi Leonard highlight, but believed the L.A. Clippers' reaction to the spectacular dunk crossed the line. Kleber fell on his backside on the baseline after Leonard's thunderous dunk over him in transition with three minutes and 59 with 359 remaining in the third quarter of Saturday's game one. Paul George and Marcus Morris Sr. celebrated the dunk by flexing and yelling toward Clipper as they walked within a few feet of him. I think the stare down should have been a technical foul, in my opinion, but that's not my decision, Clipper said after the Maverick practice Sunday. I didn't really care. I get up and try to keep playing, and we kept playing. Stuff like that happens. Obviously, it was an amazing dunk. The dunk pulled the Clippers to within two points, but the Mavs pulled away late in the fourth quarter for a 113-103 win. After stealing the ball from Mavs guard Tim Hardaway Jr., Leonard built up a full head of steam before Kleber attempted to block his shot. Kleber said he couldn't take a foul to stop the fast break because he already had three fouls, but he had no hesitation about challenging Leonard at the rim. This is the playoff, so I'm going to try to contest the shot, said Kleber, Dallas's primary defender against Leonard. I don't care about being on a highlight. You don't try to give up easy baskets. I honestly didn't expect him to jump up and dunk, but it's not going to hold me back because at the end of the day, every possession counts. I couldn't foul. I would do it every time again. The crowd of 7,000 went wild after dunk, and Dallas coach Rick Carlisle caught a timeout in part to attempt to halt any momentum created by the play. The reality is a play like that, it gets the building going. But it's two points, Carlisle said. We've just got to respond the right way by executing the next offensive play and the next defensive play. That game at that time could have gone either way. So I really like the way we kept our composure, kept executing, and were able to make some plays. So what do you think? After hearing that, should there have been a technical foul call? Or since this is the playoffs, just let them play. Most likely, Chances are it's the playoffs. The referees are going to be less quick to determine outcomes of games. They're more apt to let the players play and let the players determine the game. So maybe it was the right thing 
not to call the tech. Anyway, this is Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. There is more to come, so enjoy the ride. I'll be back after these messages. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.kakeybums.com. That's www.c-a-k-e-y-b-u-m-s.com. www.kakeybums.com to enhance your workout with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener-supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome back to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, my next segment. And as I promised, we're going to take a look at the NFC East. Right, that's what I said, the NFC East. NFC East breakdown, where each team stands after busy offseason. Where do each of these teams stand? So we're going to take a quick look at the offseason moves around the NFC East. The entire NFC East division was no doubt one of the worst in the entire NFL last year. Dallas Cowboys, New York Giants, Philadelphia Eagles, and Washington football team all attempting to bounce back in 2021. But right now, it doesn't look as if there is a clear favorite to claim the division. I beg to differ. I'm going to go on record and say the Dallas Cowboys. So today, I'll take a quick look around the NFC East division to determine how much, if any, teams have improved based on their offseason moves so far. First up, Philadelphia Eagles. Their 2020 record was 4-11-1. Here's their draft class. Wide receiver Devontae Smith, round one, pick number 10. Uh, O.C. Landon Dickerson, round two, pick five. Defensive tackle, Milton Williams, round three, pick number nine. Cornerback, Zach McPherson, round four, pick number 18. Running back, Kenneth Gainwell, round number five, pick number six. Defensive lineman, Marlon Tuipilotu, round six, Pick number five, defensive end, Teron Jackson, round six, pick seven. Safety, Jacoby Stevens, round six, pick number 40. Outside linebacker, Patrick Johnson, Tulane, round seven, pick number six. Free agent additions, safety, Anthony Harris, quarterback, Joe Flacco, linebacker, Eric Wilson, defensive end, 
Ryan Kerrigan. Subtractions, safety Jalen Mills, defensive tackle Malik Jackson, defensive end Vinnie Curry, linebacker Duke Riley, linebacker Nate Jerry. Offseason breakdown, the Philadelphia Eagles are the ultimate enigma in the NFC East division on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. They are a hard team to figure out right now because of all the unknown, but they aren't talented, talent deprived. How they go about putting things together will end up determining their success or failure in 2021. Offensively, everything likely depends on how quarterback Jalen Hurts performs. He has some talent around him to succeed, but those players are all young and relatively unproven. Defensively, they still have cornerback Darius Slay and added safety Anthony Harris for their secondary, but their linebacker core and defensive front is still a bit of an unknown. Next, New York Giants. Record 6-10. Drive class. Wide receiver, Kadarius Toney, round one, pick 20. Outside linebacker, Aziz Ojolari, round number two, pick 18. Cornerback, Aaron Robinson, round three, pick seven. Outside linebacker, Ellerson Smith, round four, pick 11. Running back, Gary Brightwell, round six, pick 12. Cornerback, Radarius Williams, round six, pick 17. Free agent additions, wide receiver, Kenny Galladay, Wide receiver, John Ross. Cornerback, Adore Jackson. Tight end, Kyle Rudolph. That might be a pretty good pickup. Running back, Devontae Booker. Offensive guard, Zach Fulton. Outside linebacker, Ryan Anderson. Wide receiver, Kelvin Benjamin, who is now being slated to be a tight end. Subtractions, offensive guard, Kevin Zittler. Defensive tackle, Dalvin Tomlinson. Outside linebacker, Kyler Fat Krell. Offseason breakdown. With the healthy return of running back Saquon Barkley and with an offense offseason addition of wide receiver Kenny Galladay, quarterback Daniel Jones is surrounded by plenty of talent. This could be a make or break season for him and how he performs will ultimately decide how the New York Giants fare in the NFC East division. Defensively, there are a few question marks in the secondary and at linebacker for the Giants. But overall, they're pretty they're a pretty solid unit. If the draft picks they spent on the defensive side of the ball make an early impact as rookies, New York's defense has a chance to be the strength of their entire team. They have a lot riding on the 2021 draft class. Next, the Washington football team. 2020 record, 7-9. That won the division and earned them a playoff berth. Draft class, linebacker, Jamin Davis, round one, pick 19. Offensive tackle, Samuel Cosme, round two, pick 19. Cornerback, Benjamin St. Juicy, round three, pick number 10. Wide receiver, Damani Brown, round three, pick 19. You notice something in round one, two, and three? They have a penchant for picking the number 19 pick. Well, guess what? How about tight end John Bates? Round four? You guessed it. Pick number 19. Oh, you think that's it? Well, just wait. How about safety? Derek Forrest. Round five? What was his pick number? 
Number 19. Left safety, Cameron Cheeseman, round six. Nope, pick 41. Outside linebacker, William Bradley King, round seven. Wait for it, wait for it. Pick number 12. Are you ready for this one? You got to be ready for this one. I know you're ready for it. Because they're still picking in the seven rounds. As a matter of fact, they had three picks in round 17. Can you tell me what that number was? We just want to have a little bit of fun, right? So, defensive end, Shaka Tony, round seven. And what do you think that number was? Number 19. And wide receiver, Dax Milne, round seven, pick number 31. Free agent additions, wide receiver, Curtis Samuel, cornerback, William Jackson III, quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, it's tragic. It just depends on what Sunday it is. Cornerback Daryl Roberts, wide receiver Adam Humphreys, offensive guard Eric Flowers in a trade, and offensive tackle Charles Leno Jr. Subtractions cornerback Ronald Darby, outside linebacker Kevin Pierre Lewis, and cornerback Fabian Moreau. The offseason breakdown. The reigning NFC East champs. Uh, can we say it again? The reigning NFC champs. Right. Don't you say it again? The reigning NFC champs. Yeah, that sounded funny to me saying that too. Have a good shot at retaining the crown in 2021. They've done a really good job this offseason, not only filling holes in their roster, but upgrading several positions as well. The only thing they're really missing from being a serious surefire contender is at QB, and they brought in Ryan Fitzpatrick to help them there. Defensively, WFT have one of the better units in the entire NFL. Their front seven is as talented as any teams around the league, and that alone should keep them in games. Offensively, they have the talent to be a dangerous unit as well. All their hopes hang on Ryan Fitzpatrick's shoulders, though. How he goes, so goes Washington. And now we come to America's team. I guess they deserve the applause there. Their record, 6-10. and 10. Draft class, linebacker, Michael Parsons, round one, pick 12. Cornerback, Kelvin Joseph, round two, pick number 12. 
Defensive tackle. I am not even going to try to. Yes, I am. Osa. And that's all I'm going to say is his first name. And his last name, y'all can figure it out. Anyway, he's the third round pick number 11. Defensive end, Chauncey Golston. Round number three, pick number 21. Cornerback, Nashawn Wright. Round three, pick 36. Linebacker, Jabril Cox, who some say this might even be a steal in the draft that he was in the fourth round. He could be a steal. Him along with Micah Parsons and some of those returning vets that they have, Jalen Smith, that could be a pretty stout deep linebacking core right there. Anyway, Jabril Cox, round four, pick number 10. Offensive tackle, Josh Ball, round number four, pick 33. Wide receiver, Simi Fajoko, round five, pick 35. Defensive tackle, Quentin Bohanna, round six, pick number eight. Cornerback, Israel Mukiyamo, round six, pick 43. And offensive guard, Matt Farnock, round seven, pick number 10. Free agent additions, linebacker, Canoe Neal, safety, DeMonte Kazee, safety, Jerron Curse, defensive tackle, Brent Urban, defensive tackle, Carlos Watkins, outside linebacker, Terrell Basham, offensive tackle, Ty Neshke, tight end, Jeremy Sprinkle, left safety, Jake McQuaid, and punter, Brian Anger. Subtractions, defensive tackle, Antoine Woods, cornerback, Chidobi Awuzie, tackle, Cameron Irving, safety, Xavier Woods, Linebacker, Joe Thomas. Outside linebacker, Alden Smith. Corner, quarterback, Andy Dalton. Offensive guard, center, Joe Looney. And linebacker, Sean Lee. Let me just say something right there. You heard Sean Lee's name on there. I believe Sean Lee is going to be one of their coordinators as far as coaching staff moves are concerned. The offseason breakdown. The Dallas Cowboys had their typical offseason. They signed free agents to fill a few holes in their roster and will rely heavily on their 2021 draft class to step in and make an impact early on as rookies. This has been Dallas's offseason model for a few years now, but right now there is no way of knowing whether or not it will pay off. The Dallas Cowboys' success or failure this season largely depends on the health of several players returning from pre from season-ending injuries like quarterback Dak Prescott, offensive tackles Teron Smith and Lael Collins. If they are back to 100%, the offense has the talent to compete with any team around the league. Other than that, how Dan Quinn's defense performs this year will ultimately determine where the Cowboys stand in the NFC East division. So there you have a look at the NFC East and how things look. But I'm still going to go on record and say, even though I know Washington has that defense, you have to keep in mind that the rule changes that have taken place are favored more towards the offense. So at best, I believe Dallas's offense can hang with Washington's defense. So I'm going to say on record, and I've heard others on Sports Talk Radio say it as well too, that Dallas looks like the team to beat 
in the NFC East. Due to the fact that though the Redskins, I've said it again, didn't I? At least I won't get in trouble for saying it. The Washington football team, even though they have the defense and they have some talented people on offense, they still have an issue at quarterback. And as much magic as Fitzpatrick can bring, he also has the tendency to bring a lot of tragic. That's why I come. He said, as Fitzpatrick goes, so goes Washington. And I don't care how good your defense is. If you can't keep your defense off the field, eventually the defense will get worn out. But I'm also say this, even though I'm sticking with my guns and saying Dallas can win this league, a lot is going to have to happen for them as well, too. And I'm going to say this. I know that the league is geared toward putting points on the board, high-octane offense. But the key thing is, if those players come back for Dallas 100% healthy, as it was stated, it starts with that offensive line. The next question is, is Zeke going to be back to himself? Because we know last year when Dak went down to injury, everything was in shambles. Everything pretty much went to hell in a handbasket, quick, fast, and in a hurry. If you talk to the guys on the locker room, they will say Dak is the glue of the team. Dak is the straw that stirs the coffee on that team. So if that be the case, which means Dak can elevate the play of the rest of the team, will we see the return of Ezekiel Elliott? back to being one of the top premier backs. Because I'm going to tell you something. Dallas does not have to put up 30, 40, 50 points a game to play above 500 football. If you look at how this team is constructed, that offensive line is like Jerry and Stephen Jones says it is, and they believe it's healthy this year. Dak does not have to put up 500 yards a game and throw four or five touchdowns a game and also risk doing some timely interceptions. You can play ball control at times. Get your lead, but then milk it. I'm not saying play what would be equivalent to back in the day before the shot clock in NCAA college basketball. I'm not saying play four-corner style and put everybody to sleep. But utilize what you have in that backfield. Utilize your uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Utilize Tony Pollard's. Wear down the other team's defense. Because sometimes if you want to cover up, cover up your own defensive flaws, you're not going to do it in a shootout. At best, if you get into a shootout, you're going to have your defense on the field longer than it should be. So what you do is you get your offensive numbers in the air, but you also get your offensive numbers on the ground. If that line can open up holes in the running game as well as protect the quarterback, Dallas can play an old-school style of offense that a lot of people will not like, but it will be very effective. Like I said, sometimes your best offense is your defense. So as you hear this podcast, there should be a section on there where you can leave a comment, leave me a message. I'd like to hear your feedback. And I think this is the year because a lot of people in the offseason, a couple of people I know, salivating, wishing to get Russell Wilson for Dak Prescott. 
these guys are my friends. These guys are Dallas Cowboy fans, but we drew a line. This is going to be the year when y'all see Dak play. And y'all going to say, what were we thinking? Moton Russell Wilson. Dak Prescott is Dallas Cowboy. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is your conductor, Anthony Smith. May is National Mental Health Awareness Month. National Alliance on Mental Illness. Each year, millions of Americans face the reality of living with a mental illness. During May, NAMI joins the national movement to raise awareness about mental health. Each year, we fight stigma, provide support, educate the public, and advocate for policies that support people with mental illness and their families. You are not alone. For 2021's Mental Health Awareness Month, NAMI will continue to amplify the message of you are not alone. We will use this time to focus on the healing value of connecting in safe ways, prioritizing mental health, and acknowledging that it's okay to not be okay through NAMI's blog, personal stories, videos, digital toolkits, social media engagements, and national events. Together, we can realize our shared vision of a nation where anyone affected by mental illness can get the appropriate support and quality of care to live healthy, fulfilling lives. A nation where no one feels alone in their struggle. Help us spread the word through awareness, support, and advocacy activities. Share awareness information, images, and graphics for hashtag MHAM throughout May. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome back to what will be my final segment as we look at some more NFL news and here's a story of interest which i'm sure will build up some steam i'm just going to throw the name out eugene chung goes on and says he was called not the right minority during nfl coaching interview so let's just get on with this story right now Former NFL offensive lineman and assistant coach Eugene Chung, who is Korean, says he was told he was not the right minority while interviewing for an NFL coaching job this offseason. It was said to me, well, you're really not a minority, Chung said during a webinar Thursday, according to the Boston Globe, adding, I was like, wait a minute, the last time I checked, when I looked in the mirror and brushed my teeth, I was a minority. According to Chum, after he asked the interviewer to explain, he was told he was not the right minority that we're looking for. Chung did not identify the team in question, but said he was stunned to hear such a comment. I asked about it, and as soon as the backtracking started, I was like, 
Oh, no, 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 no. Or if I can do it like Ben Maller. No, 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 no. You said it. Now that it's out there, let's talk about it. Chung said, according to the Globe. It was absolutely mind-blowing to me that in 2021, something like that is actually a narrative. I wonder why. But Chung wouldn't point a finger at the NFL for the incident or his treatment. I'm not sitting here bashing the league at all because there are great mentors and there are great coaches that embrace the difference, Chung said. It's just that when the Asians don't fit And right now we're having some technical difficulties with a bunch of notifications. We will get on with this story, but just bear with me as we clear this out. But Chung wouldn't point the finger at the NFL for the incident or his treatment. I'm not sitting here bashing the league at all because there are great mentors and there are great coaches that embrace the difference. Chung said, it's just that when the Asians don't fit the narrative, that's where my stomach churns a little bit. Chung, 51, played five seasons in the NFL, appearing in 55 career games for the New England Patriots, Jacksonville Jaguars, and Indianapolis Colts. After his playing career, he served as an assistant coach for the Philadelphia Eagles and Kansas City Chiefs. Though he hasn't held a position since being let go by the Eagles after the 2019 season. For me, in this profession, I don't think I'm looked at as a minority, Chung said, according to the newspaper. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. The Boston Globe hosted the webinar, which allowed Chung and others to discuss their experiences as Asian Americans in sports in other related in other news NFL related news Patrick Mahomes is ready for team drills with Chiefs in return from turf toe injury sources say but right now Stephen A. Smith shares his thoughts on how Tom Brady's success in Tampa Bay is impacting Aaron Rodgers' legacy. So let's see what Stephen A. has to say, and then we will get on with Patrick Mahomes ready to start his drills. We make USAA church. Well, give me a few seconds and we'll get this queued up. It's always interesting to see what Stephen A. has to say, even if half the time I don't believe what he says. So here it is, Stephen A. on how Brady is putting more pressure on Rodgers or Mahomes. That right there tells me, hang on for the ride. 
Rogers is scheduled to make about 14.7 million in base salary, about 6.8 million dollars with the sign with the bonus that comes up to about 21 million dollars. Uh, and then you look at, you know, the, the workout bonuses and all of this other nonsense. And then, even though it's a $37 million cap hit, the reality is, is that he's underpaid. We all know this. We all know that the Green Bay Packers have given every indication we want to move in a different direction, despite how great he is. The man just, when he knew that coming into last season, throws for seven, completes 70% of his passes, throws for 48 touchdowns, just five interceptions, 4,200 plus yards passing. And wins league MVP, and they still not only just had the roster bonus for him, but you got agents leaking out stories or, or executives leaking out stories about how Aaron Rodgers is compromising the Green Bay Packers because, my goodness, I mean, they're so cap-strapped because of him. Really? This is the kind of nonsense that this guy has to deal with, okay? which is why he should be leaving for Jeopardy or definitely at the very least moonlighting to host the daggone show and bringing that additional income that he deserves from an NFL team who clearly doesn't have it or is unwilling to give it to him. So I look at it from that perspective, and I think about all of that backdrop with Green Bay going on, and then you combine that with Tom Brady still getting healthy, still hell-bent on returning and trying to go for another Super Bowl, blah, 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 blah. I'm looking at all of that, and I'm saying – Aaron Rodgers is where the pressure lies. There's more pressure on him than it is on Mahomes because he is running out of time, specifically in Green Bay, and he's in the same conference as Tom Brady. That, to me, puts more pressure on Aaron Rodgers than it does on Patrick Mahomes. So there you have Stephen A's views, which maybe some of it makes sense, some of it don't. You figure that part out. Anyway, the timetable for Patrick Mahomes to participate in team drills after his offseason turf toe injury has been accelerated as the quarterback will take part when the Chiefs begin offseason practice next week. A source confirmed to ESPN. The initial plan after the surgery in February was for Mahomes to begin participation during the team's mid-June minicamp. Mahomes might not take the full load of starters snaps at quarterback next week, the source said, but will do some work. The NFL Network first reported that Mahomes will participate. In April, Mahomes said he was ahead of schedule in his rehab and hoped to be able to do some work on the field with his teammates by the end of offseason practice. The Chiefs conclude their offseason work with the minicamp June 15th through the 17th. In more news, ex-Jaguars linebacker Telvin Smith pleads no contest to child abuse, gets three years probation. Former Jacksonville Jaguars linebacker Telvin Smith, who was arrested in April 2020 and charged with unlawful sexual activity with certain minors, has pleaded no contest to child abuse and has been given three years probation, his, his attorney said. As part of the plea agreement, the 4th Judicial Circuit Court in Duval County also withheld adjudication of guilt. According to Smith's attorney, Hank Coates, the agreement was allowed under a rule that determines the plea to be in Smith's best interest while maintaining his innocence. Great player, great person, great father, Coates said in a statement, huge fan of this town. He will move on and do fine. As part of his probation, Smith must undergo 
psychosexual counseling and have no contact with the 17-year-old girl whom he was accused of sexually abusing. He also is not allowed to contact any girls under 18 who aren't family members until the evaluators or counselors approve. Smith was arrested on April 19, 2020 by the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office at his Jacksonville home after a six-month investigation. According to Florida Statute 794.05, the charge of unlawful sexual activity with certain minors is a second-degree felony and applies to any person aged 24 or older who engages in sexual activity with a person 16 or 17 years old. Had Smith been convicted of that charge, he would have faced up to 15 years in prison. ESPN obtained a copy of the arrest warrant and in it, Smith is accused of sexually abusing a 17-year-old girl multiple times, both at his home and in his vehicle. The victim told Smith the day they first met she had recently turned 17 and a witness corroborated that, according to the warrant. Smith, a pro bowler and second team all pro in 2017, hasn't played for the Jaguars since the 2018 season finale. He announced on social media in May 2019 that he would not play football in 2019, saying that he needed to take time off for his family and his health. So once again, there is a player. Under some scrutiny. Because of some misconduct, allegedly. Anyway, I hope you have enjoyed the A-Train Sports Talk podcast this episode today. I want to say that on Monday, I have a special guest lined up. You heard in my little ad spot that this is Mental Health Awareness Month. And yes, mental health does affect people of all races, all creeds, all colors, all nationalities, and in all professions across the globe. It is not nothing to be taken lightly. We thank the NFL for what they're doing in bringing awareness to it. Dak Prescott being the main spokesperson for it, especially seeing that he's dealt with it. So I'm grateful that on Monday, May the 24th, I will have a special guest to speak on that very same thing who has overcome his own battles. A well-renowned, a well-respected coach in during his time and now a well-respected speaker on these very same topics and issues of mental health named Mark Potter. So I look forward to having him on. And also I'm going to be linking back up with my co-host, my podcast co-host, Smokey Norfolk. So Monday, we are going to have us a good time. So until the next time, take care of yourself and each other. And always enjoy the ride. This is your conductor, Anthony Smith, saying bye for now.